Have you ever felt like nothing is going right? Well, cheer up and welcome to Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program, where you'll learn how to avoid that dreaded thing called caregiver burnout and how to survive the grieving process. Join Dave and his guests now as they share practice tips and tools that you can start using immediately to help get you through this day. Now, here's your caregiver host, Dave Nassani. From Los Angeles and New York City, a big Los Angeles and Big Apple, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, who is not here today, but she's here in spirit. Uh, anyway, we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on 16 global audio and video platforms, including iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, Podcast Radio, Spreaker Podcast Radio, I got that right. SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Mixcloud, Listen Notes, Blueberry, Player FM, Podcast.com, VIP Internet Radio, Facebook Live, HealthyLife.net, and CaregiverDave.com. And we are so proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and one of the top six best podcasts by Caring.com. And we do have an exciting show planned for you today. And I would normally say, don't we, Adrian? And she would say, Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, my guest is an overachiever, folks. Michelle Morass. Morass, I'm sorry. Is a military wife, mother, a, re- a breast cancer survivor, award-winning international coast coach, TEDx speaker, radio show talk host of Conversations with Michelle on KCMJ 93.9 FM and an author of two books, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry, A Glimpse into a Life Well-Lived, and It's Not Luck Overcoming You. But before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Joe Murphy, author of Living Full Tilt, Celebrate Life, the new number one international bestseller, guiding the reader in understanding what we actually accomplished by learning to unconditionally accept and love ourselves. Great show. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that show and all our shows on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of the other 16 global networks that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Michelle, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, the pleasure is ours. I always like to ask my guests the first question, who the heck is Michelle Moross, and why was she put on this earth? While you're, <laughs> while you're answering that, I'm going to share to Facebook Live on your site. All right. Well, who is Michelle Moross and why is she on your show? Well, <laughs> Michelle Moross is, she, is... More than that. Why was she put on this earth? Oh, on this earth. Oh, my what? goodness. Well, I am a beacon of light for those who wonder if they're really meant to be here or not. Well, basically who I am is I am I'm a speaker. I'm a speaker by heart. I'm an encourager by heart. And I'm a speaker coach. I coach other people to get on TED stages or just own the stage that they want to be on. Why I'm on this world is because I believe that everyone has a light in them. And unfortunately, some of us have to go through some pretty traumatic things in order to realize that light exists in us in order to to do what we're supposed to be doing on this earth. So in my case, what we'll be talking about today are the two things that went through that I experienced as the one being cared for and 
how I realize while being trapped in my head that I am meant to be doing something in this world, and it's to help remind people that every day is worth living, and you need to go find it. Go do it. Live. Wow, what an answer. And, you know, I would expect no less from you. I met you at a Rockstar Marketing Boot Camp, and I was amazed and enthralled and just uh, speechless when I started speaking to you and you started un unraveling, uh, un peeling back the layers of the onion of your story because it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my gosh, this girl is a living, walking, talking miracle. And just when you think you've heard the miracle, she tells even a greater miracle, and you're just one miracle on top of another, and I can't wait to un unwrap this, and uh, let's start with when it all started. Go back to when you were just a normal person, and what happened to make you into the exceptional individual that you have learned to become? Okay, when I was a normal person... Uh... <laughs> and by the way, uh, you're on Facebook Live as well now, so... Oh, I am? Yes. Well, I'll have to find you so that I can, like, share it, right? Oh, there it is. Yeah, Sweet. There it is. So go ahead and share that if you want. Okay. Well, we're on Facebook Live, and I just shared it on my on my page. And anyone now, on Facebook Live, if, if you want to call in during this interview and you have a question for Michelle, feel free to do that. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm not as quick at, at the gifting of writing and talking at the same time as you are. Oh. I'm not either. I had to wait until I asked you the question, and then I did it because I can't oh, chew gum and talk at the same time. Yep. But that's okay. Well, I can sing a song while you're doing that. Unforgettable. Oh, good. You, you oh, that's start, my song. You saved the audience from my version of that. That's that's the opening to, <laughs> to my speech that I just did at Harvard. Really? Yes. Well, I will break out into the unforgettable anytime you want to. All right, yes. do it. I love it. Yes. <laughs> well, when I was a normal person back in 2015, I was, like you said, an overachiever, multitasking, doing many, many things all at once. I had a very large computer screen, and I had five things going all at the same time. And I said to myself, never say this to yourself. <laughs> My God, when am, I over, when am I ever going to have time for me? Bad, bad decision. Uh, the, phone, <laughs> the phone went off, and it was time for me to pick up my kids from high school. So I, I put on hold everything I was doing, jumped in my car, turned on my music, and I'm blasting music, windows down, going around, literally just around the corner to pick up my kids from the school, really. And I'm singing. I was singing. I was walking along, minding my business. Wow. And out of the orange-colored sky, flash, bam! Alakazam, a car ran a stop sign and hit me. Ugh. And everything has changed since then. At least I was singing when everything happened. Uh, I woke up. I don't think you were singing I that song, though, were you? I was, I was actually singing that song. Wow. That's why it's always in my head. It was one of the first songs that came back when I, when I woke up. I was like, what a very a, a, a perfect song. Flash, bam, Alakazam. I mean, it was bam, and at the same time. And I woke up, thought I was fine. My inside of my car, I thought was fine. I jumped out, uh, went to go check on the little girl that hit me, and she looked fine. And then the next thing I know, um, paramedics were all around me, telling me I needed to breathe. Mm. So I was out for about thirty to forty minutes, at least. 
they said, okay, they wanted me to go to the uh, hospital. I went to the hospital. They said, okay, you don't have any brain bleed. You, you should be fine. <laughs> and then Famous about 12 days, yeah, 12 days later, I was at the bank trying to deposit my very my last paycheck from my job. And the teller said, excuse me? I said, can you deposit this? I'd like 100 cash back. And she said, she just kind of looked at me like I was insane. And my daughter put her hand on my shoulder. And she <laughs> says, it's okay, Mom. It's okay. And she looked at the teller and she says, yeah, she does this all the time. And I went, oh does what all the time? But <laughs> what I was saying was like spaghetti, macaroni, cheese, paperclip. I was just randomly saying words. Right. But in my head, I was feeling, I was hearing full sentences. No one else heard that. Yeah. Same thing happened to my wife. She had a stroke and uh, she had the aphasia, global aphasia. And she's talking to us and she hears what she's saying. And we're all, it's just gobbledygook. You know, it, it's not even intelligible words. It was just blabbing. And uh, she thought we were all playing jokes on her. I had to finally uh, tape record her and play it back and say, that's what you just said. And then she, she, then she got depressed. <laughs> wow. Well, and that's my thing. I don't remember ever losing my ability to speak. It's everyone else around me who said I wasn't. But your daughter said you did it all the time. Uh, did they bring it up to you the first time, second time, third time, fourth time it happened? Or was this... Well, here's listening? the thing. I don't know. Mm. I also have lost my short-term memory. So I'm really... My husband calls me 51st Dates. Have you seen that movie? Of course. 10 Second Tom. Okay. Yeah, uh -huh. that's me. So I would say, hi, my name's Michelle. And I turn my <laughs> head and I do, hi, my name's Michelle. So I was like this on repeat. So I don't remember anything. So the things what I talk about from my accident are now long-term memory from other people inserting them into my memory. Oh, wow. That is amazing. So where did you go from there? Uh. <clears throat> Shortly after that spell of losing my ability to speak, but they finally got me back into the hospital because they said I was fine. They didn't want to see me, but uh, they finally got me back in to see my primary care. And he's like, well, uh, you know, here's a couple pills, you know, here's a therapy you can go to. And uh, I think my husband said, like, within two weeks, I just stopped speaking. And then I couldn't walk. And... Uh, so it was about, I felt like it was about two weeks. In my memory, it was two weeks. My husband said it was eight to 10 months that I didn't speak. Wow. Around. He said he would leave me on the couch. So he would come downstairs. And this is why I wanted to be on your show. Because here I was sitting in this body that didn't cooperate with me and wouldn't communicate. But I was very observant of what was happening. And I remember him bringing me downstairs. He put me on the couch and he put... He put little things of pills that I'm supposed all my prescriptions I was supposed to be taking, mm -hmm. and he had A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever. And on my phone, he had put all these alarms: take A, <laughs> take B, go to the restroom, stand up, drink water. Because I, I don't remember. I what didn't a remember nice anything. caregiver he was. He was an amazing, amazing caregiver because he's still doing that for me. Wow. Because as cognizant as I seem, actually, when you met me, you met me when I was blacking out. When really? I get overwhelmed. Um, I remember you I left the table. He says, I need to take a moment. 
Yeah. If I get overwhelmed, I can feel my brain start shaking, mm. and then I start seeing double. And I know if that starts happening and I don't get out of wherever I am, I will shut down. To reduce the stimuli? Yeah, I guess my brain just does, and we're done. So my <laughs> husband has all these things on my phone that help me remember to get up to eat, to go to the restroom, to make sure I drink water. I, they're just He's got a ton of alarms. Wow. I just do them when they come up. You sure, like, fake it really good. I do, don't I? <laughs> do your friends and family think you're, like, kidding? Oh, there's nothing wrong with well, Michelle. She's a drama queen. She just likes attention, that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm I lost, feeling. I lost a lot of friends, and um, a few family members got a little ticked off at me because they thought I was being an attention hog, that I, I was in a car accident. You're in a car accident. You didn't break anything. Well, I broke one rib, but that was it. <laughs> And um, they're like, get over it already. Get over it. Get over it. And so even to this day with me now traveling the world, you know, being an international speaker and a coach, uh -huh. I time Which is amazing in itself that you can do that. It is. And again, I credit it to my husband being the amazing caregiver he is. Because he has me on such a great schedule that I appear normal you do i attest to that she appears normal, <laughs> <laughs> normal she appears very normal can be and intelligent and gifted and yeah. you know just my gosh wow well so, and what's so funny the, about the all of puppeteer this puppeteer behind the scenes pulling all your strings is your caregiver husband he's the one who makes sure i don't fall yeah. You're kind He's... of a Pinocchio. <laughs> Without the nose. Without the nose. Because you'd always tell the but truth. Yeah, I know that. I do. So that's the thing about all of this is I was told they didn't know if I would ever speak or walk again. They didn't know what my brain was doing. There was no blood, you know, blocking anything. It just sealed. Things just stopped working. So I was finally diagnosed as a... Uh, traumatic brain injury. So I have four areas of my brain that stopped. So my frontal lobe over my ear, behind my behind my head, that works my eyes, mm -hmm. and my two hemispheres had disconnected. So by science, they have no idea how I'm doing what I'm doing. But through all the therapies I went through, through the uh, Wounded Warrior Center at Fort Carson, and through the uh, Harmonized Brain Centers, I did a lot of um, different therapies. And if it hurt, I didn't do it. If it, I felt better the next day, I'd go back. And so I did a lot of things like that, trying to get my brain back. And so I've seen pictures of my brain after that 12-day accident, after 12 days after the accident, and I've seen my brain now. So when someone says, you know, when you're doing math, one part of your brain lights up, mine is opposite of everything is that's supposed to be normal because my brain has completely rewired itself. So when they told me I couldn't speak anymore, they didn't know how long it was going to happen. Um, one day I was sitting in the living room again, because that's where I always was, and I was so depressed. I, I was so depressed, and I remember being depressed, and I remember wanting to die. And I was trying to figure out how do I kill myself without causing Michael harm? causing my husband harm. I didn't want him to come home to a bloody mess. I didn't want him to, to have to clean up after me again, right? Because so, he's already so cleaning up. So thoughtful of you. 
But I, that was what went through really? my head. Really? Women are very thoughtful. You know, men will just kind of do it in the living room and, and don't think about who has to clean up this mess. You know? Yeah, I was worried about how would he get the blood off the carpet. I'm really, seriously. Yeah, I believe And uh, I was sitting there screaming in my head at God, why would you give me all these these different talents and then take it away in one swoop? What do you want out of me? I mean, what do you want? <laughs> And at one moment, I'm like, well, this might be a good way to die because he's going to hit me with lightning. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know how to say this without saying it the way it happened. From every pore, every molecule, everything around me, I heard a voice that said, get up. You're not dead yet. <laughs> no joke. Get up. You're not dead yet. And I got up. And I didn't fall. My husband said when he came home, I was on my computer researching, and I don't know what I was researching. And I said, Michael, when he walked in, I, I need help. I need to get better. I need to get better now. And he said, my God, Michelle, you, you're up. <laughs> so, and I said, so remind me before that voice, what couldn't you do? I couldn't stand up without falling. Really? I had no balance. Um, I saw double, so every time I would walk, it was it was like part of the ground was a foot higher than the other. Yeah. Even though I'm looking straight, it always looked like it was doing this. So yeah, I was the perception, always the uh, the one side of the brain, uh, you know, is what keeps us balanced, and and the vertigo thing, and all of that. Yes, exactly. So I was constantly, my ears were ringing. I was always vertigo-y. Uh, vertigo-y? Is that yeah, even a word? word. <laughs> um, my other thing was every time I blinked, I would fall. Wow. So if I blinked, I would fall. So I, my, my job was to sit still until someone came and moved me. Wow. I don't know how, this is the record of how many times I said wow on my show. I think it's up to like 15. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's crazy and it's wonderful because when I realized I had I didn't know if God gave me my voice and my ability to walk briefly if He was mm -hmm. trying to give you know prove a point uh, so I didn't know how long it was going to last and so I told Michael I want to go big or go home because what do you mean I said I'm a, I I want to do a TED talk I want people to know they've got to live while they can he said. What's a TED Talk? I said, I don't know. Some lady <laughs> told me about it, and that's what came in my head. So I started researching TED Talks, and I called them and said, hey, um, could I get on to TED Talks? And they said, send us a video. And then I got an, another person call and said, never mind, you're in. Well, what made her change her mind? She saw one of my uh, videos. I do a lot of talks on NPR, so uh, Story Project, Moth Hour. So I was telling stories already on the you side. You were doing that before your accident? Yeah, I was and doing it for continued. the fun of it. Well, oh. no, because they had them on NPR. When the gal Googled my name, she saw my videos. So how do you came get up on, on NPR for the fun of it? You you minimize everything so much. It's so it's so funny. It's a big <laughs> deal to be on NPR. I'm not on NPR. <laughs> oh well, I I see it as it's like the moth hour where they tell stories and you go and you apply and you tell a story and they take you in. So that's why I didn't think it was much of a big deal. But apparently it's a big deal because not a lot of people do it. But that's my perception. I. I'm a, I like to tell stories. 
So you had an so internet they saw my video. Uh, trail, and they saw you, and they says, yeah, get on. Yeah. We would love easy, you on It's not TED. easy to get a TED Talk. Yeah, so they got me on. Um, but see, it's all fuzzy because they took me in, and I thought, oh, so I need to apply, and I need to do this. They said, oh, we'd love to see you on this date at this time. And I went, okay. And I told my husband. He said he wrote it all down. He was, okay, I'll get you there. He got me to this place that I thought was an audition, and what it was was they wanted to meet me mm. in person. So I did wow. the TED Talk October 2016, so it was a whole year after my accident. And, yeah, I did my TED Talk. I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, I remember begging them. I remember begging them, make me early because by 2 o'clock my brain will shut off. Mm. And they said, yeah, yeah. I was the very last speaker. I, oh I spoke my. at 6 o'clock at night. So I don't remember it. I did very well. I, I do remember people were singing with me in, at the end of my TED Talk. And then at the end, my husband came to get me because the lights were too bright and he was afraid I would fall if I moved off the dot. Wow. And he came up to me and I said, how did I do? And he said, Michelle, you did, you did amazing. Mm -hmm. And then the director came up to me and she said, Michelle, where's your book? And I said, what book? And she said, you better get one. Yeah. <laughs> Hold that thought. So we're going to take, take a quick break and we'll get back to the book. <laughs> oh, okay. You are so inspiring. Hold on and we'll be right back. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52 year old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Everyone who knows Charlene is thoroughly amazed at how she lives day by day, month by month, year by year, and with a smile on her face and hope in her heart that everything is going to be okay. Just hear what best-selling author Lynn Barrington has to say about it. If you think you have it bad, read this book. This is a beautiful, genuine story told from the heart. It's inspiring and easy to read. When you finish this book, you'll be able to look at your concerns in a new light. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships. Available everywhere. And we're back with Michelle Moros. I hope I'm saying that right. And uh, we're talking about everything she's going through, traumatic brain injury. I mean, just one thing on top of another. And so tell us about your book. They said you need a book, and so, of course, you wrote a book, right? I, I, I wrote a book. Oh, actually. Easy, just like it, that. Easy peasy. I, I wrote it in two weekends. I'm not joking. Of course you did. But you know how? Well, I would assume it would have to be God's help because everything you do is with his help and your husband, of course. No, how? I'm a Toastmaster. You are. Before? I, I before, and I have, I'm a DTM in Toastmasters, a Distinguished Toastmaster. Yep, yep. And what, what happened was I have all my stories written down. Mm. So what I did is I compiled the stories that I've told in the past, and my all husband your speeches, went through. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. All my speeches. My husband went through and helped me pull things that would help support my story of Mary, my mother-in-law, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry, mm. that I told on TEDx. And so we compiled it all together. And then I just added to them, and we wow. put out my book. 
Wow, how many pages? Uh, 189. That's pretty good. And so what do you do with your book now that you have a book? Put on a book tour? Uh, well, I didn't do a book tour because I couldn't be in the car that long and I didn't have a memory. So <laughs> I just kind of launched it. Yeah. And uh, I, I really couldn't launch it, launch it. Um, I launched it in Denver that like six months later. Uh, but six months later, now here's that's where the rest of the story comes. Six months later, I wasn't feeling right. And I went back to the doctor and said, hey, I'm still feeling wrong. Something's wrong. Hmm. That was 2015, yeah, 2016. And I said, 2016, something's wrong with me. And they said, oh, remember, you have a brain injury. You're probably imagining a lot of things. And I said, no, this is wrong. I'm having dying dreams. I'm dying. Something's hmm. killing me. And so they said, here's some Valium. Stay off the animal. Really? And so it took about six months for me to finally get to a doctor who would actually believe me. But every about 20 days, I would go back to the uh, nurse practitioner and say, hey, can you look at my chest? I think something's going wrong on my chest. Oh my. And then she'd go, ah, oh, that's dry skin. Welcome to Colorado. So every 20 something days, she would blow me off. And at the end of six months, so I've been complaining now for eight months about this pain in my chest. And uh, I told her, I think it's cancer. And she said, you wouldn't feel cancer. Breast cancer is a silent killer. I said, well, I'm feeling something and my chest is changing. It looks different. Uh, it wasn't until October 31st, I got to see a dermatologist. And the dermatologist said, I don't know why you're here to see me. I'm a, I'm a skin doctor, not a breast doctor. And I said, please, doc, I'm in pain. I, I need someone to look at me. Someone to tell me that I'm not crazy and who knows what they're looking at. And um, she leaves. She comes back into the room. My daughter has helped me put on the robe because I can't move the whole right side of my body anymore. And she mm. says, uh, oh, dear God, you have cancer. And then the door <laughs> shut behind her. <coughs> and I started crying. And she said, I'm sorry I had to tell you I had cancer like that. But you have a very rare case of breast cancer. It's called Pageant's disease of the breast. The cancer eats from the outside. She has basically, it's an outer manifestation of cancer. People die within 12 months of diagnosis. And I said, I've been complaining for eight months. And she says, I'm so sorry I made you cry. I said, oh, I'm not crying because I have cancer. I knew I had cancer. I'm crying because someone finally believes me. Hmm. Think of all the good I can do in three months. Hmm. So... The next day, we made plans to cut both of my breasts off so I could live a little bit longer. And I went on a speaking tour to encourage people to live while they can because every day is not promised. Those are my words exactly. Tomorrow is not promised. Live like Spend your children's inheritance if necessary, but do whatever you can to live life to its fullest. And I think that's how we bonded uh, as we were talking to each other. It's just like we were connected by the eyeballs. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, life is too dang short. Now, granted, I lived past the three months they gave me. But in that three months, I wrote a second book called It's Not Luck Overcoming You. Hmm. And I did that because people kept telling me I was so lucky to be on a speaking tour. I said, it's not mm -hmm. luck. I'm working my butt off here. No, it's not luck. Because I'm going to die. I mean, they're telling me I'm dying. I, I have to leave my mark before I go. And if you can live every day like you know you're dying, and we all are, yep. you can do everything you always wanted to do and do it now. Today is tomorrow. It's the one day is today. Just right. do it. If it comes to your head, do it. Yep. 
and that's where I am. It's not luck. So did they get all the cancer? What's their official diagnosis now? You're just, uh, they don't know? They don't know. They don't know they, if they'll come they, back? No. I'm just thriving like all get out, so I'm living like it's gone. Yeah, well, positive attitude is so beneficial for a cancer survivor. It, it's like, oh, no, 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 you're not coming in here. You know, it's like your immune system says, no, we don't, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so they're like, oh, are you in remission? I'm like, no, but I own being healthy. I own it. Yeah, and I don't know why doctors don't tell people that your attitude can keep you healthy. I don't know if they're afraid of getting sued, if they're wrong or what. Do you know anything about that? Oh, I actually asked that, and the doctor said, you, you being alive is a miracle. He says, but mm. I think what saved you is your attitude. And then the other surgeon, she's like, yeah, she's on the cancer ward. I was the one cheering when I came out of the room when they, for my double mastectomy. The other lady, there was two other ladies that were crying. Another lady was screaming, and another lady refused to take the pills, so she, she was like in <laughs> agony. And I was sitting there telling jokes, and they said, why are you laughing, and you just had your breast taken off? I said, I'm 50. These things do not mean anything to, to me anymore. <laughs> they, I mean, I, I, I can get new ones if I need them. I said, so I'm alive. If it's going to buy me another day, then be it. I'm happy. And so that's wow. how I live. I'm happy. I'm happy to wake wow. up. I got to quit saying wow. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, let's take another break. In a, It's a little early, but we'll do it anyway. That'll give us a little more time on the other end. So we will be right back. Don't go away. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. And we're back with Michelle Maras. And I'm Dave Nassani on the Caregiver Dave Show. And uh, I want to ask you, some people who hear your story, I'm sure you get so many different kinds of reactions. You know, you get the people who are reacting like me, wow. And you get the other people who are just saying, who are you? How could you do that? I don't get that. That won't work for me. I mean, and they probably want to know, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you figured that question out yet? Yes, I have. Great. That is relative. 
that is relative. Everything that I perceived as bad has made my life grow in exponentially. Before my car accident, when I got my TBI, I thought I was living. If you watch my TED Talk, you'll find out I thought I was living and I wasn't. I did. I was. I always lived with fear before. I was always afraid of what people thought. Afraid of what would happen if I did X or Z. You know, I was always weighing and like, well, I can't do that because. After the accident, I stopped caring what other people thought because it was my life to live, and I didn't have. I had a clock, and I knew it was ticking. Then once cancer happened again, another bad thing. Oh my God, I'm so sorry you have cancer. And I said, don't. I'm living more in these three months that they're giving me to live than I have lived in 48 years of my life. It helped me realize that time was short. Bad things happen to good thing, good people, and good things happen to good people. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's your how you take it. I could have curled up in a ball and stopped fighting. And then, yes, it would have been bad. But because I lost certain aspects of my personality and I lost the ability to do certain things, I hyper-focused on the things I could do well. It helped me focus because I didn't have time to twiddle around and decide what other people thought. I mean, if you look at my TED Talk from 2015, 16, oh, I can't remember the year again, uh, to now, I've dropped, and you might notice, I've dropped 260 pounds. Whoa. I'm a third of the person that I was. But before, I was always worried about what people thought. And I was always trying to do these crazy yo-yo diets. It was always done a one-day kind of one-day dada. You know, they give you minimal time to live. You do, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can possibly do that I always thought I was going to do, and I'm going to do it. And guess what? I'm alive. Bad things do happen to good people, only if you allow them to be bad. So where does faith play a part? You have faith. Some people put their faith in God. Some people put their faith in themselves, their money, their prestige, their education. Where do you put your faith in? Well, that's a good question because prior to my car accident, I did not have, have faith in any anything. I believe the world was out to get me, and I honestly, if there was a higher being, like I said, I was screaming at God. <laughs> if there is a higher being, he hated my guts because so many bad things have happened to me in my life that I just assumed I was, you know, the sheep he wanted to get rid of, you know. So after the accident and after I realized that get up, you're not dead, I knew something was out there. And then I started trying to find myself in all that cosmic craziness. And then I realized that, <laughs> I sound very psychedelic when I say it, <laughs> I realized that we were all connected. Yeah. The God, the, the higher being, whatever in the heck we were all looking for, isn't out there. It's in here. And that if I could rationalize and find who I truly am and find peace and joy and love in me, I would be connected to what that that interconnectedness of, of life is. That's what I believe. And I put my faith in us, in our hearts, in our essence, because I believe all of us I don't care who you are, you know, people are bad people, good people. We all, at essence, just want to be loved and taken care of and be safe. Some people do bad things because they're trying to make their lives safer. 
And then there's those who don't, like me. My, my goal is to help other people realize that we all have that magic in us that we're looking for. Sometimes it takes a car, like me, to whack it into me, the sense. And then when I don't listen, I got cancer. It made me aware that everything I was looking for on the outside was already in me. The things that I thought were bad on me, I wanted to change. Oh, I was too fat. Oh, I'm too short. I don't have a nose. My eyes are too squinty. All that crap that I had put my interest in and all my energy in. Oh, did they like me or do, do they care? You know, why don't they call me? Forget it. <laughs> it means nothing. But if you love you and you can be alone with you and understand who you are, Nothing else matters. And you're connected to all the other people who love themselves and love us. We're all together. You're so wise. I mean, were you this wise before the accident? Uh-uh. <laughs> Best thing that's ever happened to take all those scary things out of me. And, and what is the difference I, between wisdom and intelligence? Is there a difference? I believe so. I thought I was an intelligent person. I mean, I have degrees. I mean, I, I was waiting for my acceptance to my doctorate program when I had my car accident, when I got my TBI. So, yes, I'm intelligent. But wisdom came from experiencing life and looking really, really hard at my decisions and the things that I worried about. When I was trapped in my head, I took notes. I journaled every day. I journaled not because I thought I was preparing for anything. I journaled because I couldn't remember what I did. So I would write things down. I journaled all the time. Mm. So basically, when I journaled, when I wrote my next book, It's Not Look Overcoming You, that's the journaling I did while I had my car accident and then through my breast cancer. I gained wisdom through my other than conscious mind when it was arguing with itself about how, what a loser and how you should be dead. That inner critic in my head kept trying to tell me, go away, you're useless. You can't talk, you can't walk, you can't do crap. All you're doing is causing trouble to the rest of your family. Why don't you just die already? Mm. I had those arguments with myself, and I wrote it down. That is what my second book is about, getting over that voice in your head that says you're not good enough, and tell it to shut up and sit down. I'll learn from you, but get out of my way. And basically, every time I see an inner critic and voice come up, it's the direction I go. If it says don't because you're not good enough, the first place I'm going because it's trying to protect me, protect me from its unknown source. Well, then fine, then I'll prove to you that I don't need to be protected because hmm. that crazy voice tried to kill me. Yeah, how do we how do we recognize which voice is talking? Because I always say that, that I believe for my wisdom of, you know, 65 years on this earth, that, that there's three voices in our head, you know. One is our own voice, the neutral one, that really doesn't matter. Should I wear green or should I wear blue today, <laughs> whatever. But then there's that voice that some people would call the voice of wisdom and the voice of goodness, uh, the voice of God. In Star Wars, they call it the, the force or whatever. <laughs> and then there's that voice, the dark side, the devil, the evil one, the one who's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. How do you determine who's talking to Michelle in your head? When I was searching for myself, I started working with a man named Paul Sheely, Dr. Paul Sheely. 
out in Minneapolis. And he introduced me to Byron Katie's work, The Work. Have you ever heard of it? No. It's an inquiry process. So this is what I ask myself. When that voice says, you know, you're a waste of breath. You know, you're just taking up space and, you know, other people need that space. Stop taking the mm -hmm. air. Go away. I say to myself, is that true? Is that true? Is that statement true? Mm. And at the moment, I will say, usually, well, yeah, it's true. I'm a waste of life. My God, I just I don't know what I'm doing. Can you mm. honestly say that that statement is always true? Well, no, there are good days. I have good days. And so it's this process of questioning that voice. The one that's bringing you to a higher level, that's the voice you listen to. The one that doesn't answer those questions right, and you're like, you're right, this makes no sense. Ignore that voice. So the lies, expose the lies, process of elimination. Process you know, the lies. Does that voice sound like it's for me or against me? Does that voice sound like it's for my success, for my failure, etc.? Because think, if you, if you are a person who believes in God or the universe or a great anything, that force did not put us on this planet to fail. It, that right. force did not put us on this planet to wither up and do nothing. It put us on this earth or brought us onto this earth that we came into existence to live the best life we could. Absolutely. And if anything in your head is telling you to do otherwise, that is not the voice to listen to. We're going to take a break, and when I get back, I want to share with you a story of why I believe we are all winners and we were made to be winners. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Caregiver's Caregiver has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too. Reclaim your caregiver sanity by learning when to say yes and when to say no. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through, because he is one. And he now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his incredible caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first, before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Reclaim your caregiver sanity by learning when to say yes and when to say no. We'll help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver. On sale everywhere and at caregiverscaregiver.com. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show. I'm Dave Nassani and our guest is Michelle Moras. And I wanted to uh, share a story that I heard from Glenn Morshak. He's a famous actor on The 24, and he's one of those guys you'd see. Oh, I know that guy. He's been on – he's the most employed actor in Hollywood. And he believes that – let me talk about men for a moment <laughs> – that men are winners. And a lot of men, you know, have been uh, emasculated – emasculated did i am i saying that right Be, especially in this world where you know it's bad being a man you know if you're a man you're bad and uh now there's so much confusion over gender identity and it's you know uh kids are saying am i a man am i a woman am i a boy am i a girl you know and i don't want to get political here 
But he says, if there's any doubt, men, that you are not a winner, just just imagine how you got here, right? You are a winner when you were conceived because there were like 300 million of you guys in this, you know, this L.A. Marathon race. And you were the winner. You beat out 300 million. So that makes you like the gold, gold, gold winner. Okay. And when did you think that that stopped? (laughs) Because you are the guy who put 300 million to shame. And I, and I thought that was a really profound statement and you really have to let it just percolate down into your mind and into your spirit, into your heart. I am a winner. You know, I did beat everybody else. So anyone who's not a winner or who's not acting like a winner, it's all up here in your head because you're telling yourself you're not. You're listening to that voice who's telling you that you aren't worth the air that you're breathing. Comments? I totally agree. Every one of us are winners and every one of us have a gift. And I think that we find depression and unsatisfaction in our lives when we don't live into that gift, when we're repressing what we're supposed to be doing. And when people do, well, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Well, then keep walking. Go to the hunch. Start doing something. Because as long as you keep moving, you'll find it. But if you sit in place and complain, you're not going to find anything but a sore butt. (laughs) It's just Mm. not going to be happy. So you keep moving until you find it. You know, I, I tell people, you know, what did you get in trouble for in, when you're in elementary school? Dave, what did you get in trouble for? Uh, talking too much. Exactly. Now, what do you do for a living? I talk. <laughs> exactly. I was always put in the corner because I talked too much, and I was always playing you know, the peacemaker among everybody. I was always trying to make sure everyone was happy, and I was always the one in the corner. And now it's my superpower Look back to when you, audience, look back to your childhood. The thing you got in trouble for the most <laughs> is probably your superpower. Wow. Because when that's what society does. When you break from society, they do, well, no, 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 pull you back. No, no, you're not supposed to do that. No, the thing is, is we're all supposed to be unique. We're all supposed to, we're, none of us are the same. I mean, none of our fingerprints are the same. We are so different, but yet, society expects us to all fit this norm it's what makes you different is what your gift is and i always encourage people you know embrace your inner toddler go get that cookie on the top shelf the adult in you is afraid that people are going to laugh at you as you climb for the cookie the toddler in you doesn't care go get the cookie people there's a woman uh, named joyce meyer a positive speaker and she wrote a book that says uh buy the dress eat the cookie (laughs) that's my next book get the cookie (laughs) <laughs> I like the title. So what what do we um, what do we say about the pessimists out there who who are so depressed at what's going on in the world? Uh, you know, there's a lot to be depressed on in the world. Nobody's getting along. You know, uh, unlike Rodney King's advice, can't we all just get along? Nobody's getting along. I mean, they can't. Yes, we are. You and I are game. getting along. Amen to that. So how do we get them to act like us? Well, here's the, rest the thing. Of the world. Um, I was talking to Paul Allen. Uh, he's the founder of Ancestry.com. I'm right. talking to him, and huh? Yeah, good right. guy. Well, I'm talking to him, and he says, "You know, why don't we get along? Why don't people <laughs> get along?" And I said, "He says, you know, the left side and the right side." And he was talking, and I said, "Paul, I think it's all an illusion. 
it's it's all an illusion. This is all a dream. This is not real. And he says, what do you mean? I said, I can assure you when I go into the grocery store, there are people from every walk of life in there, people yep. from every side of the political reign and multi, you know, every gender fluid, anything you can think of in that room. We don't walk into the grocery store and start punching each other, do we? Do we stab and, no, no, we don't. We do get along. But what we see in our, what our problem is, and this might be kind of a, a, a hot topic here, but the reason why we get all depressed and we think we don't get along is because we are relying on a network that does 24-hour news. Now, don't you remember growing up when the news was on at 6 o'clock and then it was done and yep. if anything happened, we didn't know until the news came on the next day? Yeah, or okay. even before TV and before the news. It would take like a year for the news to get over from Europe to uh, the colonies or whatever. Exactly. So, so we didn't hear bad news 24-7. And now they have to say bad news because bad, bad news gets attention. So they can't say, well, today in the news... um, Mary walked her dog and had a lovely talk with the chap next door. No, they can't do that because then they lose viewers. They need to keep us interested. We have 24-hour everything. Or as I talk to my children, you know, my children are so depressed and they bring their friends over. They're all depressed. They're like, oh, the world's falling apart. We have nothing. I said, you know what? When we were kids, we would do drills and have to hide under desks because we were always worried about a bomb, okay? So we every Every age group has something we have to worry about. And unfortunately for this, this world now is we're so connected constantly, 24-7 around the world, we know every negative, bad, scary thing that happens across the globe. But if you were walking down the street and never turned on your phone, it'd be a lovely day. You'd say hi to people. Mm. I think we get along just fine. I think... Wow. Um, it's all an illusion in order to scare us into doing what they want us to do. And I don't know who they is, but I just know that if you just turned off your dang TV, stop watching that 24-hour news, stop playing on Facebook 24 hours, and listen to some music and sit down on a chair and listen to a bird or hear, hear the wind blow through your hair, so, or like you, lay in a hammock and just kind of talk, <laughs> you would be so much happier. Life's too short to worry about anyone. Yeah, because we are. We put on so much pressure by trying to solve the world's problems all at once. You can't even decide. You can't. You burn dinner for God's mm. sakes. Do you think you're going to be able to save the world with your every <laughs> passing thought? Take care of you first. Take care of you, and then the people around you take care of them. And as a like a sneeze or a domino effect, people start taking care of each other and themselves mm -hmm. and stop worrying about other people's problems and everything kind of lines up. I say there's three types of business in this world. There's my business, your business, and God's or the universe's. Mm -hmm. If it's not in my control, I let it go because I cannot say, Dave, Dave, I don't want you to wear that blue shirt. Well, I'm going to wear the blue shirt. Oh, he's wearing that blue shirt. What does it do for me to worry about you wearing a blue shirt? Let it go, right? Find happiness in you. The magic, the magic is in you. You just gotta let it be. I get, I get kind of preachy. <laughs> that is, that's a great message, not only for the public but for caregivers, because you know we have burned out caregivers watching, and and 
everything that we tell them, we need to tell everybody because everybody's really a caregiver in some way. We're caring for our kids. We're caring for our husband, who's normal. <laughs> we're caring for, you know, the uh, the best friend who always uh, is going through some drama or whatever. So let, let's talk about what is a good caregiver because you've had the best, right? Your husband is the best caregiver that He's the only I caregiver I know. <laughs> well, and you got lucky. You got the best because men <laughs> are generally not great caregivers. It doesn't come natural. The empathy, the sympathy, the the uh, attention to detail, that's not our our suit, you know. Uh, women are much better caregivers, but you got a good one because someone's watching out after you. Tell us how these caregivers can be better because I, I bet you've got a few ideas on that. Well, for the caregivers, and this is something when I was more cognizant, I told my husband, you need to go take care of you. I mean, he was always hovering around me, always worried about me falling, always worried if I ate or not. And I said, you know, I'm not going to die overnight because I didn't take that dang pill, okay? Go away. And he says, I love you. Go away. If you loved me, you'd go take care of you. Because... I don't know if it's a male-female thing, but I could feel the stress on him. And so here I am stuck, stuck here, forced to have him taking care of me, which was so degrading to start with in the beginning. I mean, to be such a strong person, do everything, and then not be able to do, and then have this other person always trying to take care of me. Um, and he didn't do things the way I liked it. You know, So I'd look around to, he didn't wipe the counter. I, I got to let it go. And then I would forget anyway, so it didn't matter. What I would say for caregivers is the best way to take care of those of us who need you is to take care of you first. Because if you're stressed, we're feeling it. We're seeing it. And the thing mm -hmm. is, in that time period, especially for me, or even still now when I have really bad days, when you're having a bad day, I think it's because of me. Mm. And... You need to take care of you. I mean, trade out. So what I did with my husband was, can you just call one of our college kids home? And one of them will stay with me. You go to the mountains. Go ride your bike. Just go somewhere without me. Oh, my God. You are the wisest care receiver that I have ever met. You know, most care receivers are not looking out for their caregiver. They're They're putting more and more and more on their plate. It's like... You know, it's a thankless job, and, and they don't give appreciation. They don't give thanks. But look at you. My gosh, everyone should take an example from you, the care receiver, and from your husband, the caregiver. Perfect models. Well, yeah. I, I crown you perfect caregiver and perfect care receiver right here. Oh, no, it wasn't the, always the great. Gold. No, David, because my <laughs> thing is, is when you're being cared for, I, I remember being so frustrated being locked in my body. I remember being frustrated and literally I was pissed and I was pissed that he had to take care of me. And whenever he would try to help me, I remember pushing him away. Like, I'm going to do it myself, which of course I didn't, but I'm going to do it myself. And so I would sit there and try to do it myself. Yeah, I'm gonna do it myself. But I would fall. And, you know, if I hit my head again, heaven knows what would have happened. And I was hard on him. Because there are days when I couldn't communicate. I mean, I was trying to sign language to him, you know, what I wanted. And my hands weren't doing what I wanted them to do. My wife and, lives that every day, yeah. 
Yeah, so it was like, well, you just freaking understand me. I remember thinking that. Just understand me. I mean, we've been married for 20-something years. Don't you know me by now? Read my mind. Yeah. You know, he'd give me a cup of coffee, and it would, like, have no cream. And I'm like, <laughs> how could you do that? You know I drink more cream than coffee. But he didn't. So there, were, there was a lot of things that I would get very, very angry with him. And then it would be days when, I, honestly, I think it's because we were just always together. I mean, I, I, I needed him, but I also needed my own peace. But I needed him to find peace. And I yeah, knew that he was a very active guy. Yeah, he was a very active guy. Yeah, his anxiety was growing on me because I knew he wasn't him because he was trying to be with me. So take care of yourselves, caregivers. And when you know when when us those of us who are being cared for get kind of excuse my language, kind of bitchy, <laughs> <laughs> let it go. Don't respond to it, and yeah, be you. So just sing that song. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah. In frozen. Let it go. Well, Michelle, I can't believe how fast this hour has gone. I told you it would go fast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are uh, amazing. And if listeners are interested in finding out more about you or, or what you do or have questions, where can they go and find out more? The easiest way is through my website, which is my name, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-M-R-A-S, michellemoross.com, or find me on Facebook, all social media. I'm all over the place with my name, Michelle Moross. Just write and again, a reminder that all of our live shows become recorded podcasts and videocasts on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, and also on many, in fact, all of those sites that I mentioned earlier, you know, YouTube, uh, iTunes, uh, Blog Talk Radio, etc. And we have three free gifts for you at caregiverdave.com. Check it out. No obligation. And so, Michelle, all my listeners, thank you again for tuning in. So until next week. We will see you again. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program with Dave Nassani. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.